do it again. It's the Craig Needles podcast and the Friday Roundtable at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. So we are joined here in the studio by Kelly Elliott, uh, the former deputy mayor of uh, Thames Center. Jesse Roger is here, of course, the executive director at ANOVA. And political insider Scott Collier is with us as well. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here. Hello. Hello. Hey, ho. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. Uh, let's get to right to the news this week. And, and I want to start with a story that... Uh, is sad and, and and quite frankly heartbreaking, but needs to be discussed because it, it, the way it's gone down here is, is clearly not acceptable for anybody. And that was this fire that happened at an encampment on Adelaide. And I, I know that we've had the encampment conversation on this podcast before, and it always comes down to, well, encampments are bad. Yes, they are. But what else do we do? Uh, but the fact that we're having fires at these places and there were propane tanks there, according to the fire department, this has become a very obviously unsafe situation. That doesn't mean that every encampment's unsafe, but we're seeing more stuff like this happen with encampments or people who are, who are sleeping outside, sadly. Scott, when, when you saw this story, what was your reaction to it? Um, well, once again, I think it really speaks to just the complexity of, of the issue at hand. Um, you know, we have sort of traditionally thought about these encampments being close to the core. You know, we had the four sites, you know, where uh, we had the, the summer um, support yep. programs actually rolling out. Um, but there is also a, a, a notion of safety and, and need for safety uh, within the homeless community itself. And I mean, I'll use an example. Um, I live in, in Old North, adjacent to St. Joe's Hospital. There's some green space uh, near me. And, you know, Routinely, you'll actually find people that are out there and ask a couple of questions and say, oh, no, I was, you know, client, you know, at one of the service uh, uh, agencies uh, in the downtown. And I was like, so, you know, my question, so why are you, you know, here? Like, here's tea and toast. Good morning. Mm-hmm. Um, why are you here? Um, and it's like, because I don't feel safe being in the downtown. So you right. now look at, you know, these encampments in the periphery. I mean, you know, they're out Riverbend, they're up in the northeast corners of the city. I mean, where uh, this last instance was at, at Royce and Adelaide is just basically where the uh, extra road off ramp is at the 401. Right. It's, you know, fairly, fairly south. Um, and, you know, it's people seeking segregation, but also safety in, in their own community, right? So, right. I mean, the the because the, there's safety in numbers and also danger in numbers. It's safety numbers if it's the number of people you know, well, but they, and if you don't know the people, it's not safe at all. It, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So you know they've created their own community of interest. They've you know moved themselves out to the periphery, and you know the challenge is when when things go badly. I mean, it makes you know very difficult for you know police service, fire service, ambulance to actually get in there and and extricate. Um, right. people as, as firefighters were climbing fences with this one yeah and there's a barbed wire and yep. i mean there's you know a bunch of impediments in the way right and i mean you know if you're along the the river you know in any of the sort of extremes of the city how do, how do you actually reach these people if there is a need like this right so yeah. that's that's scary yeah jesse what did you think of this uh when i saw that i thought i was reading it on november the 30th yeah. so i thought I think there's more to come, which is really scary. Yeah, it's, it, um, we're not going to have less encampments like no. this, and not fewer fires as we get into the no. older months here. No, we're we're, you know, encampments have been something in our community that have happened for a long time, and it seems that now more and more people are starting to talk about it and want to have a solution for it. And it is like we didn't get here overnight. 
So uh, it's gonna it's gonna take some some time. It's gonna take some energy, and it's gonna take resources. And there's this sense that it's gonna take some time. There's also a sense of urgency, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the first thing that I thought is, it is December first today. How many more of these fires are going to happen? And the reason why people are having encampments is. Yeah, to speak to Scott's point, like people like people don't feel safe in some of the other spaces that they've traditionally been, whether it's it's been in, you know, downtown or whether it's been in already established encampments or whatever it is. And that's what we know about. Or even even shelter space in some case or people that don't feel safe there. You know, it's we we need to do better right. and it's it's something that we hear on a constant basis at anova so yeah and I, and, and i want to talk about the encampment aspect of that when it comes to women and girls in a second jesse but first kelly uh, like we talked about this quite a bit when it came to the hub project and and where are some folks going to go when and some of that of course goes off the rails those beds at my sister's place aren't going to be there and i'm not saying that if those beds were there that this would have been stopped i don't know that but the desperation for spaces leads to things like this Exactly. I think if you ask anyone, you know, should these encampments exist? The answer should be no. Yeah. You know, we shouldn't have this. Everyone should have, you know, a safe, warm place, a bed to sleep in at night. But the reality is that's not our reality in, in London and, and even outside of London and, and across the country right now um, is that those beds aren't available. Um, and, you know, as long as we keep doing these Band-Aid fixes, you know, when we're not looking at things like increasing ODSP, livable wages, mm-hmm. um, rent control, when we're when we're not willing to look at all of these long-term solutions to create this issue. And, and like Jesse said, it's not going to happen overnight. But the more we keep ignoring it, the longer we're just kicking the can down the road, right? And, and these encampments are going to continue to exist. And, and then these unfortunate events are going to continue to exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's frustrating because there are some solutions uh, that would help in the in the short term, but the reality is the long term is we have to build more places where people can live. That's mm-hmm. that that's really all there is to it. I I, I know that we talked about this before, Jesse, but the encampment mm-hmm. space from the perspective of, of safety for women and girls. I know a lot of uh, people who are advocates saying, hey, we shouldn't do encampments and th- they should be broken up. Would say that you know there's trafficking and things along those lines yeah. that happen at those places. Uh, of course, that's not every encampment. But that's part of the conversation here. With that, it absolutely right? is, and it, I mean, it to be honest with you, I don't think it's been part of the conversation enough. Okay, um, is that yeah, we've got lots of uh, lots of women, lots of young women. Um, uh, lots of trans and gender diverse folks who are being exploited in in encampments, and we need to do better to to keep them safe. I also think this element of choice, right? This idea of like, um, if if people don't feel safe going to whether it's a shelter bed or surf, like couch surfing mm-hmm. or you know being with an abuser, and their only choice is an encampment. Is that really a choice? And we need to have a conversation about a right. spectrum of choices for people who are home insecure. Right, because we hear about choice all the time. Like, oh, these people have chosen to be in the encampment. Yeah, because all their other choices suck. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's why they've chosen to be there. Let's yeah. not pretend that's, that that's, yeah. That's why the conversation on harm reduction is so right. very, very important for us to have in the city. Right. Uh, so, Scott, what do we do in the short term? I know the city has their winter response, and, and we've talked about, obviously, hubs on this podcast, and uh, clearly that's not necessarily going to be a flip the switch and everything's fine solution. We're talking about, you know, a few dozen beds. But what do we do in the short term here to prevent encampment fires, as an example? Well, I, you know, I, I think one of the things we need to perhaps look at is allocation of resource, right, in terms right. of of 
what is the current need? I mean, right now, you know, we're in the winter months. I mean, you know, it's just miserable. I wouldn't, you know, I walked down here and I was like thinking, maybe I should have driven. Yeah. Um, you know, so I can't imagine, you know, if you're unsheltered, actually, um, you know, being out in a, in a day like uh, today. But, you know, when we look at our winter response and we've stood up 120 beds that are there, we know what the population is, right, where we've got roughly 2,000 people that are in house. We've got 600, 650 or so that are high acuity individuals that have got multiple intersections with, with their, their homelessness. And, you know, we've got the hub system, we have the traditional shelter system, and then we have um, the, the winter response. And I think, you know, we're coming up, by, by doing so many things, we have perhaps come up short. So, I mean, what I'd look perhaps to do is sort of take a step back and just figure out, you know, what is the greatest common good that we can achieve right now and I would think that moving as many people into safe spaces indoors would probably be it and then for me how does one go about achieving that right so Mm -hmm. it, it just really comes down to again you know the allocation of that resource realizing that resources are finite um and that you know of course we all wish that we could have you know all kinds more money to actually throw um, uh, to use to to address this issue, um, but at the same time we have to be prudent with the dollars that we have and trying to figure out okay how many people like from a, a, an optimal perspective can I serve? Yeah. Uh, sadly, the number of people that we need to serve is, as you said, two thousand something. Yeah. That's a big. It's more than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm sure, and, and, and that's I'm sure it is. That's what our by, <laughs> yeah. by our name our by name list is, right? And <clears throat> yeah, to Chess's point, it probably is more than that because there are people that just won't volunteer that information yeah. up, and then there's the hidden homeless exactly. that cycle in and out of couch surfing or sleeping in their cars or you know what have you mm-hmm. that don't get picked up in that. So is that three thousand? Right? Uh, who I, I think I no, I think it's way more than that. Okay. And there are some of us who are not part of the by name list, like. Violence Against Women shelters don't participate in that list. So right. you've you've got to include that. And then there's the number, we turn women away five to seven times a day because we don't have space. Right. So, and those are women who meet mandate and who would absolutely, you know, uh, qualify to, to so, be in our space. So, so how does the conversation then go with government funders, be it the city, be it the province, be it the, uh, be it the, the feds, whoever it is, if you're saying that, well, so, yeah, we had five people who showed up here today that, that met the criteria that are in a bad mm-hmm. situation. We had to t- say to them, sorry, mm-hmm. they, they had to go. Like, what do they say to you when you tell them that? Because that to me shows that maybe we should be sending some more cash their way so they have the space. Yeah, um, the the conversation has been happening ongoing for, for years and it, it's a... Uh, unbelievably frustrating yeah. to to talk about how we are stretching and managing all of our resources and then you know you get you get feedback about like well you can move this money over here and you can use that money for this and the point is, is that we all need more resources right. right we need to take this we need to take the this seriously um we need to take the crisis that we're in seriously we also need to take the prevention that's required seriously so how do we stop people from needing to call a VAW shelter? How do we stop people from needing to go into a shelter system at all? Right? Like that's like, that is part of this. Mm -hmm. And it is the answer prevention being worth a pound of cure. Exactly. And it has been woefully underfunded and under-resourced for years. So we have the, the compounding experiences of what the last three years have been for a lot of us. And we now find ourselves in this space and it feels like a lot of people (laughs) are looking at each other being like, Oh my God, 
shit's on fire. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but we, we didn't get here. Like, you didn't just wake up. Yeah, it and wasn't, find ourselves everything wasn't fine on Monday and then bad on Tuesday. No, it was yeah. like, this has been a lack of planning, a lack of investment, and a lack of listening to people who do the work and also people who are experiencing the uh, absolute vulnerability of being unhoused, of being poor, um, and all of those sort of intersections of, of their identity that put them more at risk. Like it's just, it's the not listening. And so there is more listening happening now, but right now I'm like looking for action. I'm right. looking for people to put their money where their mouths are um, with this kind of stuff. What is action, do you think, Kelly? <laughs> That's a great question. I think yeah. it's what we talked about before, yeah. you know, um, the ODSP, livable wages, yeah. mm-hmm. um, rent control, all of those things. But a lot of it comes down to, you know, the prevention and education when it comes to violence and uh, against women and all of that. I know um, when I was on council and, and working with the with the rural women's resource center like the amount of women in the county who didn't even know that they had a resource to go to in the county like that's a big thing right and so um again it's not just one thing that's going to fix you know turn that switch and it's going to fix everything as as jesse alluded to this has been you know even say decades of, mm-hmm. of underfunding. It's and it's not just the current government. It's it's the previous liberal mm-hmm. government too, yeah. right? Like Absolutely. there's a well, lot of people to blame, and and there's when it's decades worth of of underfunding to fix. You know, I I often talked about a lot of this, and whether it was housing or, or infrastructure or, or anything like that. What it always felt like being, you know, on a, as a municipal elected official, it always felt like poker hands. You know, the feds were playing their poker hand and and the municipalities were and the provinces were and everybody was afraid to show the other person their cards and what they were willing to do, right? And and now it's all come down to this, that no one was willing to work together for so long. No one was willing to put those investments in that uh, that all of a sudden, like Jesse said, it's a dumpster fire. And, mm-hmm. and now it's that reactionary and nothing's going to be enough. Yeah, yeah, I... It's just, it's sad. And when it gets to the point of people are sleeping, you know, essentially by the 401 Mm. with a bunch of propane around and things along those lines because they're looking to to cook something for themselves to eat or whatever it is. I don't know if they had barbecues or what was going on, but there were propane tanks, there was fire, and it was not well-managed fire very clearly. That's a scary situation. And no one was hurt this time, thankfully. Thank goodness. But that may not be the way this goes next time. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I find myself worried about. So I, I'm hopeful, hopeful that we can see a better winter this year than last year's. And we're just going to have to kind of incrementally increase. But yeah. it's, um, it's an ugly spot to be in, to say the, uh, to say the very least, because it just is, it's just, it, it's sad. And I'm worried about what it's going to look like mm-hmm. next time. Anything else anyone wants to, to say on this before we move on? Well, to it's, not, it's not just winter response, right? Of I course. think the city is starting to talk about inclement weather, yeah. right? Because this is a year-round yeah. thing, right? It's now it's, cold weather responses. Yeah. Is, you know, fair and enough. It, yeah. Winter has a, a definition, Yeah, right? yeah. So, win, winter is yeah. defined, but, you know, it's, it, it still may not be nice to sleep outside in March, right. even though no. it's not or, winter. Or, yeah. or even April, right? right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even, like, you know, in the summer months, things are getting hotter and things are, like, getting more uncomfortable. So I think to take the situation seriously, we need to uh, there needs to be this balance of uh, prevention and intervention that needs to happen and uh, you know if the if the goal is perfection we're always going to fail mm-hmm. and so there, there is sort of an urgency to get some stuff done yeah. quickly um, as we plan ahead as we go forward but yeah. and it comes back to this for me I don't want to see we see in other municipalities I don't want videos of police officers breaking up encampments in Absolutely London not. I don't want that however I don't want encampments in London either 
So, yeah. like, and, and and I get it. I know that some people would say that those two things go uh, go run opposed to each other. But no, I I think that no one should want encampments in London. Everyone should think encampments are bad. The issue that we have, as far as why they're here, is because the other options are not good enough. That's mm-hmm. that's that's where we are. That's where we are. Speaking of police officers, uh, <laughs> those who folks who worked at London police officers are going to get a raise over the next five uh, four years. Rather, they have agreed to a. Uh, a uh, new contract has the London Police Association with the folks over at the Police Services Board. Everything's been ratified. The current agreement uh, expired uh, December 31st, 2022. So this, is, this has been a long time coming, uh, about a year. But uh, we're, we're finally where we have an agreement. So what we know is that police officers, you know, on a per-officer basis are going to get paid more. 5% hike in 2023, 35 in 2024, 2.5, and then 2 in 2025 and 2026. There's still the political conversation surrounding, hey, how many more police officers do we need? And there are some folks on council who tell you we need a whole lot of them. Some people would say we don't need quite so many. Uh, Scott, where do you stand on the, the police services board asked as far as number of officers and their budget, which was, let, let's be honest here, as a, a historically sized budget ask? Yeah, you know, I... As a person who's actually been broken into a couple of times, you know, yeah. and, you know, you look at, you know, eight hour response time where you've had $35,000 worth of your stuff actually roll out, you know, the back door of your house. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, is that a high crime misdemeanor in terms of, you know, all the other stuff that's going on in the city? Probably not. But in terms of call for service, you know, you know, my, both my dogs were beaten up and, and uh, locked in the bathroom, you know. Thanks. The material stuff, you know, who cares? Insurance will actually make you whole. <clears throat> but, I mean, there was just, you know, feeling, you know, violated. Of right? course. That was, mm-hmm. was, you know, so frustrating. And then to sit and have to wait, you know, for eight hours or so for the, the police to show up. I mean, you know, now we're, and that was probably about 10 years ago. Now you know, we're talking about two and a half, you know, three-day delays for non-priority calls. I mean, there's, there's, there's two sides to this, right? There's, I think, the the broader public side, which I think for the most part, <clears throat> they're extraordinarily frustrated, right? You mm-hmm. hear the number of sirens at, at night, you know, in particular because, you know, the city gets quiet and you can hear them all around. There's all kinds of stuff happening in Gotham, right? Uh, in terms of that, you know, police are actually uh, required to, to roll on that's taking up resource. And the stuff that we normally would have expected, whether that's traffic enforcement or, you know, <clears throat> you know the, the, the public service role that, you know, police provide in the community or, you know, just even the basic things like, you know, cat in a tree or, you know, uh, my house got broken into or my car got broken into or vandalized. Um, you know, people, you know, are paying for a service that they're not receiving. So I, I get the public side. On the other side... Mental health of an officer where you're coming on shift and there are 250 or 300 calls in the queue that never goes away and you are just bumping from call to call to call. I would find that mentally exhausting and frustrating where it was like, you know, and I just don't even want to come to work. So I get the the mental health side of yep. the officers and the burnout, the number of people that are actually going on leave as a result. So I think, you know, just looking at London in general, I sit on a you know, couple of other boards and commissions. You know, I'm on London Public Library Board. I'm on London Transit, um, where we've have all been very cash lean organizations mm-hmm. comparatively to you know our comparator groups. You know, uh, outside mm-hmm. the municipality, um, so that's sort of something that's 
unique to London. I, I was going to ask you about that comparison because if you let's you put on your your London Transit hat or your library hat, whichever one you want to put on. If either of those boards came to the London City Council and said, "Hey, we want this percent increase because the police got it," you're well, going to be told no before before you even finish your first sentence. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's that's probably true. I mean, right. you know, I mean, police is a little bit different in the I sense of the Police Services Act and, and yeah. you know how they're how they're funded and it's sort of. Outside of the normal envelope process yeah. that you would have within a, it's different. But transit process. libraries are important things. I uh, think, you know, they they certainly are. And yeah. uh, when budget gets dropped, I expect that you're going to hear a couple of aggressive asks from from those two agencies okay, as well. Yeah. Um, only because, like police services, we have been constrained in those organizations. Um, you know, to deliver on, you know. I'll say generations, or gener- like since I've lived in London, in terms of a of a, a lean property tax ask, right? And mm-hmm. we can have an argument about the efficiency or inefficiency of property tax uh, unto itself for for another day. Yeah. But you know, when it comes down to um, city of London investment and subsidy with respect to library services, where like we're one of the lowest in the province of our sixteen transit comparator groups. You know, in terms of municipal subsidy, we are the lowest in the province um, here in in London. In terms, and of, police are amongst like we're amongst the lowest per capita uh, police per capita. Too, yeah. So, so I mean, so there's there's a theme that I think yeah. is is developing here, right? And you can be lean and smart for so long. You know, unfortunately, we had a period of extraordinary inflation and pressure. Uh, uh, pressure and that actually is now I think going to get caught up with us so I mean I think one we're going to have a bit of a budget shock yeah. uh, when that drops mm-hmm. in, in December um, but also I mean we're now actually having to, to, to pay the piper here where we you know had I'll say a couple of decades maybe even longer of, of lean times for very very valid reasons but it's not sustainable anymore, yeah. right? And you know we've got and, to, and there's a few things you look at over the years, like you know the Omer's holiday, where uh, perhaps those things could have been put into community services, and they th- that those savings could have put into community services. They want that's that's a long time ago. The the Joe Fontana, the second year of zero was kind of a false zero. So there's a couple of things you look at over the years. You're like, okay, wait a minute, this and now that's just called going to turns into a snowball that rolls down the right. hill, right? So yeah, there you go, uh, Jesse. Huge police services ask. Uh, the biggest, obviously, ever. Mm-hmm. When you saw those numbers, did you like? I, I'm sure you would have been on two minds of two minds on I it am. for a variety of reasons. Yes, <laughs> I'm of two. Yeah, two minds. Um, we work closely with one police. We need to. Yes. Um, to keep uh, the folks that we're serving safe. Um, and uh, we have a we have a good working relationship with the police. Um, but we've had we've had difficulties with uh, with length of time mm-hmm. to respond to calls. And in our in our work. When we call, we need them immediately. So it's, this a is situation a, where a, a guy who shouldn't be there shows up at a shelter, right? That type of one thing. One example, yeah. yeah. So and and we've we've had the experience of struggling with with wait times, and that's mm-hmm. that's new for us, right? And so because um, usually that would I be would, a priority, like a high priority call. You would I think, would, okay, I would expect someone yeah. skulking around and over. You got to get them yeah. out of there. Yeah, and uh, so and I understand the resources are strained. I hear the, the about the queues and. Mm-hmm. Um, and about the uh, the the asks of, of police services, so I I want to know that when my team calls, they're going to get responses very quickly. That's what I need. And right. so if this is part of it, then I'm willing to to be open to that conversation. I also think that um, there are 
a lot of things happening in the city uh, when it comes to supporting our most vulnerable that a lot of us in social services are doing some really great work and doing really great work off the sides of our desks, doing really great work outside of mandate, doing really great work with uh, budgets that are minuscule and if we properly invested, whether it's municipally, provincially, whatever, mm-hmm. perhaps the ask wouldn't be as large. I wonder. Like, I wonder right. if that would be part of it. If, so, I, if so you say I'm, to London police, hey, you don't have to handle mental health calls anymore. Yeah. Now, how many officers do you need? Mm-hmm. The number is mm-hmm. going to be lower. Yeah. But yeah. to do that, we need to have some pretty intensive conversations together. Yeah. And that has happened to some degree, but there's there's still work to be done. So, yeah, I'm of two minds of it. So. Yeah. And, and, and I get that. And, and, and I'm of the belief that I would like to see mental health calls taken off of the plate of, of London police officers in, in most cases. And you know who agrees with me on that? London police mm-hmm. officers. Mm-hmm. They feel the same way I do. Yeah. I just don't understand why we can't have that conversation, Kelly. Because Or maybe we're having the conversation, but let's see some action as we were talking about earlier. Well, I think that's just, it comes yeah. back to, you know, what we were talking about previously, um, allocation of resources. You know, yeah. I think if, if the, um, you know, every time something bad happens or someone needs help, it's, London police responds, then of course we're going to need more officers because more of this is happening right. every day, right? And so, yes, the the simple solution is add more officers, add more officers, add more officers. But the reality is, is you're right. If they didn't have to go to mental health crisis calls, like if we had... Then that queue's not nearly as long, is it? Exactly. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's a lot of things the police are responding to that the police shouldn't have yes. to respond to. And I if, think that's and the biggest problem. resources were allocated properly and... You know, whether it was another service responding to those calls or, or assisting and, and that would be a huge game changer. But again, those conversations, you know, if they're not hap- if they are happening, they're not happening publicly and, and we're or we're not seeing action on it. And so the reality is, yes, you need more it, officers. It, it, it frustrates me because you have chiefs of police that would say this, police associations that would say this, mental health advocates that would say this, advocates for people who are in poverty that would say, hey, you know what, if it was a mental health crisis line as opposed to calling 911 when someone is, you know, screaming at people on Richmond or, or whatever it happens to be, everyone's better off there. Mm-hmm. Everyone's better off. And, uh, and, and we're not doing it. I'll just say this isn't yeah. even, you know, a London police issue. Oh, you course. know, this, this is, is yeah. this is an OPP issue. Yeah. I sat down five years ago with our with our OPP detachment commander at the time who, you know, on average, we have two officers in, in, ti- in all of Middlesex County per shift. Um, Middlesex County is a large geographic space when you have two officers. And he would say, you know, if one of them is on training, I don't have another officer to respond. Oh, and hey, guess what? The province says that, you know, provincial roads are our priority. So actually, I have to go patrol the 401 and 402 before I patrol your roads. And so all of a sudden, you know, we have no police resources. And, and we begged and, and pleaded to the province that this is unacceptable. And, and, you know, nothing has changed. And so I think policing as a whole across the provinces, you know, needs to be addressed. And and I do feel for London police officers, because to to your point, Scott, that you were saying, uh, it would, when you're sitting in the car and like, okay, I've taken care of this. And you look at, well, since I've taken care of whatever it was I was just doing, six more things have popped up. Like it just, it would just never end. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that's, I mean, would just be super frustrating in terms of an employee, right? Like, right. I mean, just like, you know, you sitting here DJing and, you know, the playlist never, ever, ever ending. And, yeah. you know, like you just end up going home at the end of your day mentally exhausted, right? Yeah. Um, the one thing actually I, I would like to c- congratulate the chief and the police services board on is kind of this notion of alternative service delivery where, you know, they're looking at the use of auxiliary officers that um, is not, you know, a full-fledged constable has a uh, lower operating cost to actually triage some of the things that don't require a 
uh, police officer. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we've advocated for now wearing my downtown London hat um, is, you know, the notion of, of COAST. So the community outreach and support mm-hmm. team that, you know, I think nine of the current 15 elected members of municipal council in London actually advocated for when they were running. And we haven't really seen much expansion of that program. And I think, you know, we all know the stuff that goes on, you know, in the streets of London, not just in the downtown, but, you Mm -hmm. know, all across the city that, you know, there's a person who clearly needs support. It doesn't necessarily rise to the level of, you know, a police intervention, thereby it's not hopefully going to go into the queue, but that person needs a, you know, human social work support that Coast could actually provide. And, you know, I, I don't think really we've scaled that program up effectively to triage some of the things that are actually requiring, you know, police services. And, you know, I was walking to another meeting downtown yesterday and I was, I can't remember the name of the restaurant that it is now, but I'll, I'll call it the old CIBC at the corner of, <laughs> of uh, uh, King and Richmond. And in a vestibule there is a guy who's clearly altered and struggling, you know, setting up, you know, a uh, 48 ounce uh, soup tin as a camp stove and is actually, you know, got a fire with, with hand sanitizer going in the vestibule of the building there. And, you know, I'm just like, okay, who do I call? You know, because mm-hmm. if I call London Police Services, this isn't going to be, you know, probably dispatched as a, as a high no. priority call. But I mean, it's a fire risk. Do I call the fire department and ask for, you know, fire safety to actually come by? Um, I ended up calling um, uh, uh, CIR and, and CIR actually were able to come in and, and provide the guy with supports. But I mean, literally, I mean, you've got, you know, uh, a in in inflammable situation or a flammable situation actually you know in in a vestibule mm-hmm. of a building right that requires some sort of response and you know it's weird that we're sort of going through this self auditing process because we know ourselves that hey mm-hmm. if i call the police yeah. they're not going to respond to this and, and it make, doesn't need a fire truck, right? And I'll maybe no. just jump off that, like from the EMS side, that's something that Middlesex County has been he- heavily investing in and advocating for is is community paramedicine. Because we know that when a 911 call comes in and someone wants an ambulance, you know, that ambulance that gets there within four minutes isn't necessarily what the call needs, right? Sometimes it just needs a community paramedicine person to go out and, you know, and from there we can triage and look at and, and open up ambulances for more, um, for more emergencies and go out of those, you know, code rides that we've been seeing happening more and more across the city and across the county. So the same type of thing for the policing is, you know, if you can triage those calls that don't necessarily need a London OPP officer out, all of a sudden those, those cues can drop. Right. Uh, so I guess where I leave with this is you kind of have to spend this money right now because the better solutions are not within reach in the short term for London City Council. But it sucks that they have to spend the money because the better solutions are not in reach. I, I think that's where I fall on this. I wish we lived in a world where this is not what you had to do, but we don't. So you have to do it. Yeah. I, I think mm-hmm. is I think is my takeaway. You know, I, I yeah. think you know we need to get caught up. Right? Yeah, you know, and That's then you know what we need to actually have smart conversations about how can we how can police officers better this, use their exactly time. how can we actually reinvent this police service delivery model right so that we've got the appropriate resource addressing the appropriate issue at the appropriate time within the time frame that we can actually all right. live with right. 
Uh, I think that there should be a police officer available very quickly if someone's causing trouble at Anova. I think that if someone is trying to light a fire to cook something to eat in a place that's dangerous, someone else should handle that. Yeah. That's, 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 that's where I'm at on that. So if we took that stuff off the plate of police officers, we'd all be better off. Uh, let's do a, a couple of quick hitters on federal and provincial politics uh, before we wrap up. First, federally, uh, polling this week would show that the NDP and the Liberals are either neck and neck or in some polls, the NDP is slightly ahead of where the Trudeau Liberals are federally. Is that just the end of the road for Justin Trudeau? Does he need? Does he? Do they need a change in leadership? If they want any chance to win this election, or are they just going to have to go down with him because they have no other options? Do you think? They definitely need a change in leadership. I don't think they can go into another election successfully or even close to successfully uh, with Trudeau at the helm. But at, I read a, an article the other day, and it was you know the five options that the Liberals have are like no one knows who they are or have a bad. um, idea about them so there really isn't any other option for the liberals to go with right now and so um, every time someone says you know we're going to have an early election I don't think so because the liberals aren't going to call it because you know they need to get their ducks in a row before they're willing to go into an election and at the same time the NDP can't afford an election so even if they're polling ahead of the liberals uh, they can't afford to do it Uh, and so yeah I think the liberals are are in trouble and and they need to replace Trudeau but who that is I think they're still in trouble. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I think there's talent within the Liberal Party that actually could um, replace Mr. Trudeau. I think, you know, I'm old enough to remember Mr. Trudeau's father and his rather famous walk in the snow. Um, and I hope for snow every day in Ottawa, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, it seems not to be happening. Um, I'm just not sure that Justin Trudeau will get out of the way of himself to allow himself to to resign and and you know I don't know if there is you know kind of that arm within the party that is going to be able to push him like you know you saw Stephen Dion you know get the push or Monsieur Ignatieff get get the push right mm-hmm. I'm not sure if there's the strength to do that um, with respect to uh, uh, the Liberals polling in third I mean. Mm-hmm. Having you know, as uh, been tied to Team Blue, having had you know uh, defeat snatched from the jaws of victory a couple of times, um, you know what the Trudeau uh, Trudeau and 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 the Liberals were in third place, you know, going into 2015, yep. which is why you got you know some of the wildly ambitious campaign promises that were there. Like, hey, I can actually offer up electoral reform because. There's no way that I'm ever going to make government actually have to cash in on that promise. I'm like, oh my goodness, not the way it went. (laughs) Something strange happened on the way to the forum. Um, And, you know, lo and behold, you know, they had to walk that back. But, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily count them out. Um, You know, Monsieur Poliev uh, seems to have the, the current of the country. But Mr. Poliev is also very polarizing to uh, a lot of people. I think there's a bit of division within Conservative Party itself in terms of, you know, whether you like them or you don't. Um, and I think, you know, certainly with people who would be, have to be conservative accessible, i.e. those swing voters that would need to come and actually park themselves in blue, I, I still think they're sort of liking what they're hearing because they don't like what red is offering, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as for uh, Mr. Singh and, and his chances, 
I mean, <laughs> I don't think he ever is going to hope to be prime minister. So, I mean, he could be a leader of the opposition. You know, Tom Mulcair was um, and was quite effective in that role. And, you know, maybe that is his, you know, deciding factor in terms of pulling the shoot. Yeah, I mean, uh, to your point, Kelly, I mean, I don't think that, you know, they've got a lot of scratch in the bank, but the unions always managed to come in to find a way to mortgage a property to, to float them the loans that they need to actually run their run their elections, right? Um, so it's possible that that Mr. Singh will say, hey, you know what, let's take it to to the to the polls and and see what happens. It'll be interesting just because, you know, redistribution lands, I think it's April 7th, 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there'll be a little bit of calculus amongst the three parties as to who ends up being a net beneficiary to redistribution and if that changes uh, the pieces on the chessboard. I think an election is two years away and, and two years is a lifetime in politics. And so mm-hmm. anything can change. And I think I've said it to you, Craig, is that, you know, the conservatives and, and Polyev, you know, he's doing so well because he's keeping because people are angry and he's keeping people angry. Two years is a long time to keep people angry right. and, and keep that up. And so. If that Here's the thing. Keeps if people going. are angry because they their rent is crazy expensive and they can't afford to buy a house, they're still going to be pissed off about that in two yeah. years because the market's not going to change, I don't think, measurably in two years. It'll get a little better as, we, as more of these projects get online, but we're not going to have a situation where, oh, we have enough housing in the next 18 months. It's just, that's mm-hmm. not the way it's going to go. Mm-hmm. That being said, you're right that there is uh, eventually that particular stove, you run out of wood for it. Well, and you have to be angry enough to go out and vote, right? Like if people are feeling like, oh, things are okay better. You know, I'm not as angry as I was two years ago. Are they going to go out or are they going to make that effort to go out and and vote? Yeah. Um, Because our voter turnout is And, you know, there's always, you know, the the whole thing in terms of the conservatives, right, where they're so easily wedged on so many things that we know that, you know, you can bring up, you know, sort of the retired tropes of of past in terms of reproductive choice and Mm -hmm. any of the various, you know, gun control, any of the other various issues that get dangled out uh, anytime an election is near that conservatives, you know. And, and this is what I, I sometimes separated Stephen Harper from people who have done that job since. Whereas when, you know, you had some random MP from wherever say, hey, let's talk about abortion. Stephen Harper would say, absolutely not. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, is Pierre Polyev going to have that discipline? I don't know. Yeah. But Stephen Harper won three elections because he had the discipline to, place, to, discipline to say, we're not discussing this. Right. Like, well, if we it's, talk about this, we're going to lose. Right. This is a yeah. decided matter. And, right. you know, what? this isn't what we're about. We're actually about the future and the economy, right. which, you know, I, I think if we can keep a ballot, you know, question to, you know, affordability housing, getting your kids out of your basement, is Canada looking better without getting into all of these social questions? Right. That, That's, know, if this election's about anything other than affordability, Pierre Polyev will have massively failed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's about anything other than that. Yeah. Anything. I don't know if you, you oh, want to weigh in. I, I, uh, uh, every time I think I know what's going on, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. So I, I think I, if we're if we're two years, if we're six months, I don't know what's there's. That's a lot of time. Yeah. For stuff to happen, so things can change things very can change. very quickly. I agree. Uh, we have a, exactly zero time. In fact, we're minus eighteen hours from a Kitchener <laughs> Center by election which I think would have caused some awkward conversations at a New Democrat headquarters mm-hmm. uh, provincially. Uh, the Greens win, and they didn't squeak one out. They won by a lot. They did, yes. I, I think that, that can't be good. You have uh, a riding that uh, was solidly orange the last two times out. This is the type of urban riding, Kitchener Center, and I, I know it well. I, I used to live uh, mere meters away from Kitchener Center. Um, that they, if, if they want to have any chance, they have to win all of those. They need to win all of those types of ridings. 
And they not only lost this one, but lost it by a bunch to the Green Party, no less. Like, and plus you have the issue of the uh, revolt of the, the riding association against the Central Party in regards to the Sarah Jamis situation. Ugh, awkward day at Ontario NDP headquarters, Kelly, I would think. Absolutely. And I just want to say I am thrilled that a parachute candidate lost terribly because I I have no respect for parachute candidates. So I'm glad that didn't work out. But I'm also glad as, as I'm still naive enough um, to say that I, I think great candidates can win and great candidates who know their community, who care about their community, who put the work in and knock on doors and listen to people and those people can win. And that's exactly what Aislinn did. Like she put in the work to win that and it paid off for her. And it just gives my, you know, little Grinch heart <laughs> so, <laughs> so much. Your little green Grinch heart. <laughs> my little green Grinch heart. Um, you know, that that can happen. That, you know, you know, the Green Party who only has one other seat, who has minimal resources, like this by-election was their chance to win. And, and she put in the work and, and she showed that she cared about the community and, and she knew the issues and, and she did all the right things and it, and it paid off for her. And I was really happy to see that. And I don't know if you've been back home, Craig, um, to actually see the momentum on the ground, but it was very clear, you know, very clear. Yes, yeah. I was uh, there door knocking on behalf of Team Blue. Um, it was very clear that there was a ground green swell of support um uh, well this there. is a green riding federally yeah so and i think that that obviously built the momentum for the party provincially yeah and now this is where we're at so i mean it'll augur well for for the ndp in terms of you know how they resolve that i'm happy that leader schreiner has now got a uh, compatriot mm. so he'll actually have a commuting <laughs> buddy in from guelph which will be good um and um you know it 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 will be interesting in terms of just how NDP sort of regroup from this. And I don't know if you saw on Twitter, though, but the, the NDP press office was tweeting out about how, um, you know, Kitchener Center went against Doug Ford and, and all of this thing and kind of tried to make it. technically true. Which is technically <laughs> true, but they tried to, like, make it off as a win for them. And I'm like, I'm, I'm no, really not sure you, that's how it went. You lost, you lost by, like, you know, like, Clancy almost got 50% of the vote. Like, yeah. it was yeah. not even a contest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oof. 27% turnout, so, you know. Yeah, uh, slightly better than we do municipally. <laughs> <laughs> but not, you know, but not bad from a by-election. No, yeah. right? no, no, so. no, no, no. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely a, a legit mandate for her because uh, I, I think you could have had 100% turnout and she probably still wins. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, what, 50, 100 votes in terms of, of uh, yeah. advantage, right? So, I mean, it, yeah. was, a, it was a decent yeah. number. Big and chunk. And said, you saw it on the ground when you were going door-to-door. So, mm-hmm. yeah. no, no, I'm sure you did. Uh, well, uh, we will have to leave the conversation there. So thank you very much to Kelly and Jesse and Scott for coming and doing the Friday Roundtable with us. Thanks to all of you for listening. Of course, you can catch the Craig Needles podcast at classicrock981.com, londonnewstoday.ca, and wherever it is, you get your podcasts.